All right, now we're up and running. So it is September what? 25th. 20, 25th. What did you say? Yes. All right. So, September 25th, 2022. This is our first lesson on the book of Jude. Uh, We had an introduction last week. And so, when we go through the book of Jude, I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised of of who this book is to and what's the purpose of this book. And so, I'm going to allude to that just a little bit this morning. But... uh, so I'm going to give you a little bit of information each week about the book of Jude, and hopefully we'll have this thing nailed down by the time we get done. And so uh, last week we talked a lot about who I believe wrote this book. I think everybody has Do you not have one? All right, thank you. Nope, that was mine. I got busy talking, and you have one, right? Okay, Angela. Okay, so I think everybody else has a handout. And uh, so last week we talked about who was the writer, and it's, there's two possibilities, and I personally believe it is, it is Jude, the brother of James. I, in fact, is I can biblically prove that, because that's what the text says, but I believe, for what it's worth, just take it for what it's worth, that it is those two are apostles. They were a part of the 12 apostles, okay? Uh, a lot of people believe that it's Jesus' half-brothers. Um, and, and, and I don't know if that's a big deal or not, but I think what, it, to me, it makes more sense that it's apostles because everything in the book of Jude, now I'm going to just throw this out there, has an Old Testament feel to it. Everything. Even more than you think. It, it, it just, it has an Old Testament feel, an Old Testament slant. It uses Old Testament references, Old Testament examples. So what does that tell me? Testament. It's got an Old Testament message. So we've got to look at that. So I've got, in my personal uh, approach to this, and again, you can throw it out the window because I cannot back this up. I believe that the date that the book was written was between 41 and 48 A.D., now, you'll have some people that say that, give it that date. Some people will put it later. I'm going to put it that early because, again, I believe it's written to the early Christian church who were predominantly Jewish between the crucifixion, let's put it this way, between the resurrection and Paul's writings. I think there's about 30-year time span in there, and God wanted to give that early church some, some information that they needed to have. Okay? He didn't just leave them uh, on their own for you know, close to 30 years. And again, next week, I think I'll probably talk a little bit about dispensations, because God... Uh, I, I don't know if I have it in my notes here. I just kind of got a new definition of a, a dispensation... And a dispensation, if you've been through D2, they'll talk about dispensations and what they are. But they're basically, and here's the standard, the standard definition of a dis- dispensation. A dispensation is a period of time that God deals with man. And there are like seven dispensations throughout history. That's the common theory. But again, I'm not common. I'm a little abnormal. So, so here's my definition of a dispensation. A dispensation 
and I'll get this next week. I'm just giving you some fluff here. A dispensation is how God deals with man in dealing with how man has related to what God had told him. I'll, I'll, I'll do a little better next week. I'll, I'll get the definition out. But, you know, man always wants to put a time period on it because we deal with time. Okay? But yet, it really, the time issue is not the issue. The issue is God dealing with man according to how God has reacted to what God told him to do. So, for instance, God told Noah to build a boat. He built the boat. He told, and so God deals with man in that time period because he was faithful to what he said. Uh, when, when Adam and Eve sinned and rejected God, basically, there's a, ga- there's a different dispensation started. Because why? Because they rejected what God had said. And so every dispensation ends in our Bible. And it always ends in failure because man didn't do what God told him to do. Okay, so again, I'll, I'll bring that out a little bit more <coughs> next week. So, you're already at the book of Jude, right? And the book of Jude is right before what book? Revelation. Revelation. Now, Revelation is written, really, who to? The Jews, right? Okay, so uh, that's good. Go back, hold your hand your finger in uh, Jude. Go back to James. Go back to the book of James. So James chapter 1 says, James, a servant of God. Hey, that's just what Jude said, right? Didn't Jude say that? Jude says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. So it's pretty close. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the who? To the 12 tribes. So who specifically is the book of James written to? The Jews. Okay. So again, we have to kind of think about that. Jude's kind of the same way. So Jude is written to... Well, let's go back and look at it. Turn back to Jude and let's go ahead and read uh, verses... Well, we'll read the whole book. Now, normally I can't say that when we're studying a book, but we can with Jude because it's only one chapter. Okay, so uh, Jude starts off with Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now let me stop for just a minute. Why do you think it says Jude instead of Judas? I think they're trying to get away from Judas. Oh. <laughs> kind of like, you know, Benedict Arnold, you know. Um, if Benedict is your first name, Especially right after you know that happened with him, he'd probably want to use your middle name or something, you know. So I think Jude is used, and, and it may have something to do from from Judas being being Hebrew, Jude being Greek. But I think he's trying to get away a little bit from Judas. It says Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. Okay, so who's it written to? The, that, that group of people. Yeah. To the sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. He said, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Okay, all sounds great. And so as we read through this, I'm going to give you a homework assignment in here. I want you to think about 
what is the main point that we're going to see in the book of Jude? Okay? I should have told you that when I first started reading it. But I want you, as we read through this, just be reading through it with me and kind of look at what do you think the focal point of Jude is? What's the purpose that it's in this book? Okay, verse 3. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Let me read that again. That ye should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So what group of people is he talking about in that verse? you got to remember, I'm going to ask questions. It was the Jews, but at what time period? He said he destroyed them that came out of Egypt. Who did he destroy in the wilderness? It was those people that didn't believe what Moses said to go into the land, right? It was those people, and they had to wait 40 years for that whole generation to die off. And so he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. That's kind of a, that's a tough statement. He came out, God saved them out of Egypt, he brings them out, and then he destroys a certain group of them because they didn't believe what he said. Okay? And you've got to stop and remember that when those people came out of Egypt, they didn't, every one of those Jews just didn't believe God and follow him. You know, it's just kind of like our churches today. God has his faithful few. And so there was a group of them that left Egypt with the group just because they wanted out of Egypt. They didn't want to be a slave anymore. They were going to do all this stuff. And they really didn't go out because they thought God was bringing them out. They just jumped in. So we always have to remember that. And that was the group of people that God destroyed because they didn't believe in, in what he was doing with them. Verse 6. And the angels. So we have one illustration with the people in the wilderness. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness and judgment of that great day. Well, we got two examples so far, and both of them end not so well. And then 7, verse 7, says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That's the third example he uses, and it doesn't end well. And then he says, Likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, now, what's all that about? We'll have to look at that. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally is brute beast, and those things they corrupt themselves. 
Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, Old Testament example, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam, Old Testament guy, for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Now that Kor that you see there is Kor that you see in the Old Testament in the wilderness with a K. Verse 12, these are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, picked up by the roots. Now this guy's got a vivid imagination. This guy probably should have been in my English class when they were trying to teach us how to write and use vivid you know, uh, words and how to describe things because my description describing of people is pretty boring but I mean this guy throws out all the punches man he is good at it and he says verse 13 he says raging waves of the sea these guys are foaming out their own shame wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever and Enoch also again Old Testament the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. So if you're sitting there thinking about this, here you have Enoch, and I don't think we can go back and find it, but it says here that he prophesied about the Lord coming back with his 10,000 of saints taking vengeance on the world, on these ungodly men, which he's comparing these ungodly men in the book of Jude 2, to execute judgment, verse 15, to all and convince all that are ungodly, among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, he kind of wheels it back in. He says, Remember ye the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference, another saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, now to him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceedingly joy, to the only wise God. God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. So that's settled it all up. You got it nailed down, right? Now we know exactly what the book's about. So, okay, let's stop and go back. I'm being a little honorary with that. So you, you see kind of two things going on here. Two things in the book. Well, I've kind of given you, uh, uh, it says in your handout, it says theme of the book. Now, do you have a blank in there? The theme of the book. Contending for the faith. Yes. We see that. In ver- uh, that's your, uh, about your second. When it says contend. On page one. Yeah, it is contend for the faith. Or for the faith. That is the theme of the book. I'm sorry. The theme of the book is to contend for the faith. Now there are two things that you see going on in this book. You see contend for the faith. And the reason why is because of 
ungodly men. And we just went through that big long spiel about ungodly men. Okay, that's the two things that you see fighting back and forth in the book of Jude. In fact, 1 through 16, we see why we need to contend. It's in the outline of of your handout, outline of the book. Why we need to contend, verses 1 through 16, and how to contend, verses 17 to 23. So I want to go back and look at this word contend. We see that in verse 3. That is the main theme, the main thrust of the book, because he says he's... basically says, I exhort you, verse 3 in the middle of it, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Now that's what he's trying to tell the church. That's what he's trying to tell this group of people. You need to contend for the faith, and then because, and he's, he talks about all these Old Testament examples, and what's the, what's, their, what's the end of these Old Testament examples? Destruction. Total destruction. And total uh, judgment and basically he says you know what to, to keep from that you need to contend for the faith okay so I want to look at the word contend what does the word contend I need to get one of these so I can see what we have here because your handout's not exactly like mine and the guy that wrote them didn't put them both together it was me but <laughs> Yeah, I did not pull this out of a book anywhere. Uh, contend. What does the word contend mean? Can anybody tell me? Just what do you think? Do you use that word, contend? Strive, preserve, defend, drive forward, make strong effort. <laughs> okay, so you, she, she looked at the handout. Okay, to, when we contend for something, means we are to strive for it. We are to preserve it. We are to defend it. We are to make a strong effort at we are to labor at, and then you've got some blanks, and here's what I want you to put in your blanks. We are to give your all to. When you contend for something, you are to give your all to. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we need to give Him everything we got to do what He wants us to do. So again, to give your all to. So, the word contend means give it, give it your best shot. You know, give it, you know, strive for it. You know, drive for it. Labor at it. Make it an effort. Okay? And so, what we see is, um, um, we, we see a lot of people that are Christians that are just kind of like, I hate to say this, but just kind of like Sunday Christians. It's just something they do on Sundays. They, they, a lot of them don't even have a Bible they bring to church with them. I'm picking on some, a group, but maybe they do. Maybe you bring a Bible and you leave it in the backseat of your car. Maybe you put it on your, maybe people put it on their coffee table, okay? I think I made a point one time in here. You come to my house, you're going to see a Bible all over the place. And one time I was at home and I'm studying, and when I usually study, I have a huge kitchen table, and I have got, and Carrie will tell you, I usually have junk all over, I mean, not junk, I have study material all over this table. And once a Jehovah's Witness rings my doorbell, wants to talk for me a little bit, and, and, I, and, and I, I'll talk to them for a little bit, because basically they just waste your time. But, but anyway, they had left, and I thought, I should have invited that person in to the kitchen table, sat down and talked with them. I mean, that would have blown their mind, because, you know, I've got, 
I've got all these help, steady helps in what I'm doing. They're probably thinking, uh, probably shouldn't have t- came in to talk to this guy. Uh, not that I know anything more than any other, you know, preacher does or, or Christian does. But, but uh, you know, your Bible needs to be used. Let me put it this way. Your Bible needs to be used. God has given us uh, an instruction book, and we need to use it. You know, if, if you if you if you're a player for the Kansas City Chiefs and they give you a playbook, you better go through the playbook, right? You better know the plays because number one, you won't have a job very long. You may not have a life very long because if you go out there and and you don't know what the play is, and you know three four hundred pound guys run over you. Uh, you probably needed to know the play uh, and the playbook. But the, our Bible, we need, and again, I'm talking to the choir in here, guys, so I know that. But the, the Bible says here that we need to contend for the faith. We need to strive for it. We need to make it a priority in our life. Okay? So we're in Jude. I want you to go over to Revelation 3. So I'm trying to link what, you know, something else that would help this in our in our life. And with the... Uh, I want you to go to Revelation chapter 3, and I want to look at the Philadelphian church. Okay? And so uh, the Philadelphian church was a good church. And let's start in verse 7. He says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, and he that is true, he that hath the key of David, and he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works... Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word. Focus on, they have kept his word. And has not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not. Pay attention to that. that we're going to see some of that come back in the book of Jude. And are not, but they do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee because thou hast, what? Kept the word of my patience. Two times he says, you have kept my word. Kept is, is a word a lot like contend. So again, we don't just keep our Bible on the coffee table. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. To, to keep something means to, to watch it, to be vigilant about it, to be sober about it. It means to observe, to keep your eyes on it. It means to guard. It means to practice it. So it means to you have to make an effort to keep God's Word. Now again, we've talked about in our class, so why do we see people kind of go off? the deep end, right? or go to a church that's just kind of what I would call lukewarm. Because it's easy. They don't have to contend for it. They don't have to keep doing something to stay sharp. You know, when, when, when you are, when you are a, I'll use a baseball player for an example. When you're a baseball player, when George Brett was playing, he had to do something all the time. What did he have to do? Practice. To stay good at it, you're going to have to make an effort at it. Anything that you're good at and you enjoy doing it, you're going to make an effort to do it. It's just something that you just don't get one day and you just, you know, you just show up and wing it all the time. Okay? So it talks about a church here and then, and then that, that's kept God's word. And then turn over to the next chapter here in Revelation uh, to the Laodicean church. In fact, it's the same chapter. I'm sorry, just the end of it. Verse 14 of verse 3. 
And he says, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things saith the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, neither I would, I'm sorry, I would that thou wert cold or hot. Now think about that. First of all, that blows my mind that Jesus said, I'd rather you were cold and if you're not, or I'd rather you were hot, but if you're not hot, I'd rather you were just flat out cold. But this lukewarm stuff makes me sick. And, and I'm like, my God would rather I was cold instead of being lukewarm. He hates the lukewarm. I must really hate it to say he'd rather I was cold than lukewarm. But when you keep God's word, when you contend for the faith that it talks about, you have to be earnestly striving to be, to be living it out in your life. Let me put it that way. Okay? To be a Christian, you've got to work at it. Okay? To be a Christian, you have to work at it. You've got to be studying God's Word. You've got to be reading God's Word. And you've got to be living it out. It is a lifelong process. That's why the older Christians seem to have a lot more wisdom than the younger Christians. Not always, but yet they've lived through it. There's things that, that all of us have lived through now that we didn't know when we were a young Christian because we've had, we, ha, we do have the experience. Not that I'm trying to sound Pentecostal, but I'm like, we have the Word of God and the experience of what God did in our lives down through time. Okay, So you have to work at it. Now, now let me think about it, and I'm probably beating this subject to death, but I think here's the problem with a lot of Christians. They don't work at it. They don't see the importance at working it at their relationship with Christ. Okay? And so, think, think of two cups. Think, think if, if I have a cup of coffee and I bring it up here and I set it on the table and I say, uh, Mark, how would you like to have some coffee? I got a cup here. I haven't drank it. What would you think? You don't like coffee. You're not a coffee guy. Who likes coffee? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, you like coffee? You don't like... Angela loves coffee. Okay, co- okay, Angela. Uh, thank goodness you're here today. Okay, so if I have a cup of hot coffee here, <laughs> would you like a cup of hot coffee? Okay, now if I had a cup of hot coffee and I said, I got this last Sunday when I was here and I left it here for you, do you want this? No. Why? Because it's not going to be hot, is it? It's going to be what? Cold or lukewarm. Okay. Okay, now, now anybody in here, since you guys are not coffee people, are you, anybody in here an uh, iced tea drinker? Okay. So if I have a cup of iced tea and I do the same thing, I go, hey, you want a cup of iced tea? I brought it in here last week and it was, I just put ice in it, just made it. It's, it's fresh. It's good. Would you want it after a week? It'd be sour then. It'd be sour. It wouldn't be cold because to keep that drink cold, what are you going to have to do? Constantly work at it to keep it. You have to constantly be putting ice cubes in it, right? <coughs> okay. And Okay, so at home when you have iced tea and you're drinking it during the day or whenever, you have to constantly be putting ice in it plus refilling it. If you got hot coffee... You're constantly sticking it back in a microwave or putting another shot. So you have to work at it. Okay? Why, why a lot, there's a lot of Christians that don't work at their relationship. They don't contend for the faith. They do not 
keep the word. That's why they're lukewarm. Because they're just, they think they can just show up and not do anything. Okay? So I've kind of beat on that a little bit. I'm sorry. But, but again, that kind of goes in with some of the questions we've had with people. How do people uh, go from one church to this church to that church, especially when they're not doing all these other things? Number one, it's easy. They don't have to do anything. They just show up. And really, if you just show up to our church, you know, we allow that. In fact, there's a lot of people just show up. But you know what? To get the, <laughs> to get the, the most out of it, you got to put effort into it, okay? And so, the, the, the theme of the book is to contend for the faith. You have to do something to keep that faith strong. you got to be reading God's Word. you got to be studying it. you got to be doing all that. You've got to contend for the faith. And now we've got all these other things. Number It says the outline of the book is why we need to contend. It's going to be verses 1 through 16. Then how we do that, we're going to see 17 through 23. So I'm just going to kind of walk through this real quickly, the outline that we're going to be looking through the next few weeks as we go through the book. Uh, Roman numeral number one says why we need to contend for the faith, and we're going to be looking at ungodly men. We're going to be looking at their sinful ways, their subtle perversions, and we have two denials. That's verses 3 to 4. We're going to look at their certain doom. Five to seven. Okay. And you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I ex- you know, how's this going to affect, why, why did he use this example? And why, why, does, why did he throw that in there for us? Because we have, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I've, I, I've been given great and, and exceedingly great promises from, from Christ. I have eternal life. I, you know, why should I dwell on this? Okay? Well, hang with me. And so we're going to look at these guys' certain doom. And so my point is, yes, for a Christian, we, we will not be in this boat. Okay? There's certain doom, verses 5 through 7. There are ways, three examples we're going to look at. 8 through 11. We're going to look at their falseness with six, and I wrote, colorful Metaphors. Now, again, I do use big words. I had to read that up, though. Uh, six colorful, colorful, can't even pronounce it, colorful metaphors. And, and I mean, this guy does not, does not, cut, you know, stop any punches. I mean, he hits them hard. He hits them hard about who these ungodly men are and what they do. And then we're going to look at their destruction, verses 14 through 16. And then number two, we're going to look at how to contend for the faith. Remember, the apostasy has already been foretold. Okay? And we need to uh, build, or people need to build yourselves up in Christ, verse 20 to 21. We need, uh, people need to have compassion, verse 22. And these people need to seek those that they can save in verse 23. And at the very end of the book, we'll see how uh, uh, Jude gives honor and glory back to the Lord. And again, a, a good example because we need to be doing that in our life. So I'm going to wrap things up. So here's your homework for next week. Your homework is is to write out a short message to someone that's still here after you've been raptured out.
So what would you like to say to people that you know that are here after the, after the rapture? Have you ever thought about that? You know, I've thought about just do a VHS tape and get on there and go, hey, if you're, if you're seeing this, then this is what has happened and this is what you need to do. That's your assignment. Okay? They heard about Jesus before the rapture. There ain't much hope for them. You know, I'm not 100%. I'm, I know that goes around. I'm not 100% sure of that. Can you, can you prove that to me? Can you prove that to me? He says he'll bring them a strong delusion because they did not believe. But that, that, believe the, the topic world. is when. When what? When did they not believe? Before the rapture. Does it they say that? Jesus Does it say that? Go back and look at that, Bobby. I'm not saying you're wrong. But it doesn't say the time span. Go back and look at that. I'm not saying I'm right or you're right or I'm wrong and you're wrong. I'm just saying. I want. Here's what I want to know: Is this something you totally believe, or is this something you've been taught? No, I'm reading the scripture and studying it in Thessalonians. I came. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh. After the rapture, if you've already heard about Jesus and you rejected him, there's no second chance. Okay, we'll look at that next week then. We'll go back and look at it. And the point is, at what point does that take place? But, but, but yes, I have heard that. I have heard that. And so maybe some of you guys have heard that. And I'm one of these guys, like, I, again, I want to know why. you got to prove it to me. You know, and I'm not always right. And I've had to change my mind on some things, but we were always going to do what does the Word of God say? Okay. How do we interpret it? And how and how do you interpret it? And are you interpreting it correctly? Okay. By comparing Scripture to Scripture. Okay. So has everybody got your homework assignment? Does that? Am I clear in that? Okay. And so. It would depend on. This. In my opinion, if I'm going to write this out, it depends on if that person's heard about Jesus or not heard about Jesus. As my message to him after the rapture would be, seek the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and don't give in to the Antichrist. Maybe he's already heard about Jesus and rejected him. My message would be, I'm going to miss you for eternity. Okay. Write it out and we'll talk about it next week. Hey Bobby, where, uh, it was First Thessalonians that you're that you're getting this from. Because I do. We'll look at that next week. We'll pull it out and look at it. I didn't know if it was first or second. I'll look at it. It's okay. Okay, well, I'm going to pray, and we're going to get out of here just a little bit early. I'm kind of long-winded a lot of times, so. Uh, and again. You have some homework. We know what contend is. And again, if you don't get anything out of this message, I want you to get this. We need to work at being the person that Christ wants us to be. It's just, you know, we just don't fall off the log and, you know, don't have to. You have to work at it to be be hot for the Lord. You're going to have to work at it. Okay, so let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for your word. And Lord, your word tells us that we are to read your word, we are to study your word, and Lord, we are to know what we believe based on your word. So I pray that in this class and in our church, Lord, that we would take that serious, and I pray that we would be able to give an answer 
of the hope that lies within us, with anyone that asks us, Lord. And, and Lord, help us to see things that, that are biblical. And if there's things that we have been taught or believe that are unbiblical, Lord, help us to see the truth and help us to, number one, be willing to change to match what your word says. So I pray for that. I pray for our class in general, that we would be all about your business, that we would be contending for the faith and that we would be keeping your word and that we would stay sharp at at being the witness that we need to be. So I, I pray for that. I pray for a, a, a good week this week. I pray for the trip, uh, the people in Boston to get back safely. And I pray for uh, all the people we've been praying on our list, Lord, that your hand would be upon them. And we just give you all the honor, all the glory for what you've done for us and what you will do. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Oh. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay. Thank you.